Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. This is Marianne Russo. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are honored to have back Dr. Samango Sprouse. She is the director of the Focus Foundation. She has been our guest before, and she gave us one of the most outstanding interviews we've ever had um, on dyslexia, apraxia, and learning disabilities. She's back tonight to answer a lot of questions that parents have. What is an atypical learner? Who is the atypical learner? Um, you know, many medical conditions can mimic um, delays that appear to be learning disabilities, and how do parents unravel it? Um, not only is she joining us tonight um, to discuss these issues, but she is also offering the Atypical Learner Conference. This is their second year, and um, it is really outstanding. It is for parents, educators, therapists, and it will be um, April 13th and the 15th. So we are just thrilled to welcome back Dr. Samango Sprouse. How are you? I'm very good, Marianne. It's lovely to talk to you again. Well, I'm, this, this is just so exciting because, um, you know, I know you're very passionate about this, and the Focus Foundation really is about empowering um, parents and, um, you know, people with dyslexia. So, you know, I'm just thrilled to be able to present this to our listeners. I think it's so important. Um, you know, I wanted to start off by asking you, who is an atypical learner and what is an atypical learner? That's a great question. Um, an atypical learner is a child who learns unevenly. So some areas are intact and doing well, and then other areas are challenged. And they are often misperceived by teachers and sometimes even parents that they are dumb or slow. But in reality, the school environment is challenging for them because they learn differently than we traditionally, than we traditionally teach. You know, and I think that there's a myth that dyslexia only affects reading. Um, it, it really does encompass a whole, uh, a lot of other areas. I mean, I think even math is affected by dyslexia. Is that true? That is true. Dyslexia really falls under the umbrella of a language-based learning disability. So when we think about reading, it's actually language and written form. So if you have a language-based learning disability, the dyslexia comes with it, but it can affect, you know, how you put your thoughts on paper. It can affect how you express yourself. It can actually even affect your motor. So the kids with dyslexia are often a little bit clumsier, a little bit less organized in their motor movements. They can have speech delay. So it's a, it's a wide umbrella. It has lots of sort of tentacles from it, and it's often missed because the kids are intellectually often within normal limits, but they don't right. succeed. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, yeah, you know, that's very true that I think people assume that, um, you know, children that have dyslexia, um, you know, are not intelligent and they couldn't be further from the truth. It's a processing problem, isn't it? It is a processing problem and it can be auditory, so how well you understand what you hear um, how well you can listen. It can be visual. So when you look at things, you have difficulty um, recognizing things that are similar or patterns that have rules to govern them. I mean, the sort of classic dyslexic of what people think is the classic dyslexic is the child who reverses his numbers and his letters. But that is right. like nearly the tip of the iceberg. Right. Yeah, that really is such a misconception. Um, do, do you find, you know, thinking, <clears throat> excuse me, thinking styles um, have become, gladly, um, really noticed now, and people are paying attention to the fact that different children have different thinking styles, and that transforms into learning styles. 
Um, do you find that children with dys- dyslexia have a certain type of thinking style? Well, I don't know that they have a certain type of thinking style. They have various types of styles, but the, the difficulty they have is it is not often in an organized fashion. So they may be visual in how they um, absorb information so they can look at a page and remember what the page is. But then what makes it confusing is when they put it down on paper, which also has a visual component to it, it's disorganized. So they they clearly have their own preferential thinking pattern unique to them. But I don't think we could say there's a characteristic pattern because you have a dyslexia. You know, my oldest daughter had dyslexia, and we hadn't caught it um, much. She was, I think, in fifth grade, Um, you know, because she was sort of like plugging along, you know, Um, and it was just a struggle for her that really didn't need to be, Um, you know, so, you know, as with everything else, early intervention is key. Um, But, you know, as you know, I am passionate about looking for any type of uh, medical reason for any of these children's developmental delays or learning disabilities. So are there any type of medical conditions that a parent should just, you know, look for to rule out when they see their child is struggling and having some delays? There are, and that's what the Focus Foundation is actually focused on, which is that one in 500 boys and girls will have an additional chromosome. For girls, it would be additional X. For boys, it could be an additional X or a Y. And they have a 95 to 99% chance of having dyslexia. So the reality Hmm. is that only 75% of the kids um, only 25% of the kids are identified, which means 75% are being classified as dyslexia with no known cause or ADHD with no known cause. So it's a very common explanation for dyslexia, and it should be either ruled in or ruled out because there's actually treatments available based on the diagnosis in addition to what should treat the dyslexia. You know, I would imagine that also would be important to really get a good um, vision um, evaluation because I know with my daughter it wound up that she had a convergence problem, which I don't know if that is separate to dyslexia or if it's part and parcel. Yeah, it's interesting. The research literature does, um, we've been talking about it and there are now articles coming out. There is this idea of visual convergence or what I call ocular motor, the idea of the of the eye being able to visually attract across the page through midline to the other side. And we actually have data that we will be, um, we hope to publish in the future that shows a very interesting pattern that kids, our kids with dyslexia often start on the wrong side of the page. So they start on the right side. So they're actually, their comprehension is compounded, their problems with comprehension is compounded because they're starting on the wrong side of the page and they have to go back to the right side, so there's lots of visual disorganization. You know, and it's funny, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but the way they found it with my daughter was that um, she was sitting in the classroom, and all of a sudden she jumped up and she read a sentence that the teacher had going around the room. And she said that she's had that up for 15 years, and not one student has ever been able to read it, and it was because it was written backwards. And you know, I remember he said to her, "Well, that's great. She can read backwards. Now we have to get her to read forwards." But um, that's exactly you know, right. <laughs> um, you know, so now let's just say that um, a child does have a medical reason, whether it's chromosomal or whether it's a convergence or a motor um, 
optical motor problem. Um, does that affect in any way um, the way that you would teach this child, or does it change the treatment at all? It does, and that's what I write about, this idea of, of targeted treatment. You go and look at the various medical differences or diagnoses, and then that gives you a much better roadmap for the child and his learning or her learning. So we would change treatment because we would substantiate potentially that there's an ocular motor problem. Or on our boys who have extra X's, they receive testosterone um, at different intervals in their life, um, predictably at puberty, and that is important for them to help their learning and their organization. So the medical wow. diagnosis is very critical to, to crafting an appropriate IEP that's really going to be unique to the child. Right, because this is a brain disorder. And, you know, parents don't like to hear that, but, but it really is. Um, you know, and in, in this case, as you're talking about with the testosterone, I would assume that it, it also was an endocrine problem. Is that correct? Or right. just and the treatment? Boys with the extra, yeah, with the boys with the extra X's, it is, that's who they see as pediatric endocrinologists, to receive the appropriate level of testosterone um, in order to help them in a variety of biological ways, but it also helps organizational. And, and I have articles written about it, and there are other articles showing that it actually helps a particular part of the brain that's vulnerable in dys dyslexia, which is the temporal lobe. Um, so identifying these boys is very important in the dyslexic population because there's the possibility that they will receive treatment that will help both biologically as well as educationally and developmentally. Yeah, I mean, it's just so important. You know, that's really one of the main reasons I started the Coffee Clutch because, you know, so many parents, you know, when their children have behavioral issues or learning disabilities, you know, they don't think to look for the underlying medical reasons, and it's just so important. You know, in this case, and in you know, my daughter's case, it was an endocrine disease, um, and it's just really important. But what really comes down to being important is to getting them the right support. And, you know, an atypical learner is going to need an atypical education, a differentiated education, I would assume, at times. So how would we um, – what would an IEP look like um, for an atypical learner? What would you like well, to see in the, the IEP? The typical, from my perspective, what I say to families is we want what we call SMART goals, which are specific and measurable and appropriate and reasonable and timely. But even more important, we want lots of very small steps that are sequenced in multiple domains of learning. So for an atypical learner, we would want to make sure we talked about the social language part of his learning and the written part of his learning and the comprehension part of his learning and the handwriting, the actual putting, you know, crafting the words on paper because all of those will factor in to his success in school. And what we find is without help and advocacy that we often have, you know, four goals that are very nonspecific and very broad-based. And then when the child doesn't make progress, he is, you know, at the standard statement as well, you know, he does have a learning disability. Um, right. So, you know, it becomes this very vicious cycle. Right. And, you know, it affects them socially. 
and it affects their self-esteem. Uh, you know, and, and that's why it's just so important to get the right IEP. And a lot of parents today worry that, you know, with um, so many schools not having their budgets passed and the economy, that they're not going to be able to obtain the services, and that's just not true. So, um, you know, before we go into I really want to talk about this conference, but before we do, um, can you just give some parents some tips on how to get the services that they need? Well, I think um, what I always say to families is, you know, if you're going to implement a roadmap and take it step by step, the first piece is to get an evaluation that's very detailed. Um, and sometimes that means outside of the system. Sometimes that means you end up doing it in the system where multiple disciplines are looking. And then from a goal-driven standpoint, it should be quantifiable. In other words, you should be able to say this is something that can be measured in a very specific and discreet way. And that doesn't mean that somebody says, we hope he's, you know, he's going to learn vocabulary words. That's not measurable. Well, what is measurable is, you know, Johnny will be able to define written and or orally 25 vocabulary words on whatever grade level he's in in the next year. And, and that's something that has a real target to it. So what the very simple question for parents to ask is, can I answer in one question how this will be measured? And if you can't answer in one question how it's going to be measured, then you don't have a measurable goal. Right. Do you find that with these children, I was just curious as you were you know, going through that, um, that the different types of um, approaches to learning um, and reading make a difference? Like, is, is it better to have a basal, a whole word memorization type of um, learning, or is phonetics um, easier, or doesn't it make a difference? It does make a difference, and that's the that's sort of the fun and the creativity is to identify what it is. Is it phonemic that the child can hear the difference between long A and long E, and so right. that affects his reading? Or is it that the child is able to hear the difference but can't develop the fluency to read? You know, he's working so hard word by word that he can't move on to comprehension. And we always talk about everybody has a different style, but a very basic piece of reading is the idea that when you see four letters in your mind instantaneously, you picture what those four letters mean. So when you see B-O-O-K, your mind doesn't think about the individual letters. It actually so quickly sees the book, and that's how you know what those letters mean. So this idea of saying to kids, can, when you look at letters and words, what do you see? The kids sometimes are very accurate. They'll say, I don't see anything but a bunch of jumble. And right there you're on your way to reading challenges because the kids who are reading well will say, I can picture the whole scene in my head. Right. Right, and that's why I was talking to you before about the visual thinkers and the auditory. Um, but right. I want to talk about and this, anybody who really wants detailed information about what we've discussed, please listen to my first interview um, with Dr. Samango Sprouse. It was exceptional, um, and it re- we really went into detail about all of this, the chromosomes, the educational plans, and you can find that. Um, we have it on iTunes, and you can find it on our website. But I want to discuss the Atypical Learner Conference because this is really something outstanding because, it, it, you know, it takes a village. So we really do need for not only the parents but the educators um, the therapists and everybody to really understand what's going on with these kids. So tell us about the conference. 
What I think is so exciting about the conference is that we have um, a very eclectic group that are coming to talk about their expertise in atypical learners. So we have, you know, Michelle Garcia Winner, who's done a great job looking at social thinking in children and how do they get social language. We have one of her esteemed colleagues coming, Nancy Clemens, to talk about all the aspects of social language that help develop peer interactions. And then I'm speaking about this idea that having followed children now for 20 years with dyslexia and dyspraxia, and, you know, X and Y chromosomal variations, we actually have very specific information that has long years substantiated on its effectiveness that we can apply to anybody who has an atypical learning pattern because we have so many variations. So we're talking about how do you find the right fit, you know, the the, the priceless fit that's going to make your child totally successful. And then the last piece that I think is exciting, we have the medical component always because they have a lot to contribute, but we have parent parent panels speaking about their own personal um, experiences with their child. And we have families from little ones to families who have kids who have now are in college and have succeeded their expectations. And I think all parents love to hear other parents' input because it's so valuable. Absolutely. You know, I want to back up a little bit because you said a lot in there, and I just want to make sure that, um, you know, you mentioned social learning. Um, What is social learning, and, you know, how is it important in the success of these children learning? Well, one of the things that has been greatly overlooked in, in all academics is what makes kids understand the social cues that enable them to develop friendships, to take another's perspective, to empathize. That's what social learning is. That's how kids from the time they're, you know, two and up start understanding the world. And kids with disabilities, this has been an area that has been not only greatly overlooked but not well understood. And it impairs them. It impairs them in their ability to interact with their teachers, with their friends, with their job employment. And so social learning, we have almost three hours devoted to that with Nancy Clemens talking about all the facets of it and how it can enhance your child's success across multiple parameters of school. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, who is this um, conference mostly geared for? Is it mostly for parents or um, do you, you do you find maybe a lot of um OT or speech therapists? We had last year we had a very good mix of professionals and parents and I am a firm believer that, you know, I was trained by T. Barry Breselton from Harvard many years oh, ago. Wow. Yeah, and he Lucky always Lucky you. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I did I love Breselton from Breselton. Uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Uh and he actually helped me on uh, part of my doctoral dissertation. He talked early on, and it was a very powerful message, empowering parents with knowledge not only facilitates the baby's growth, but it gives them great hope. So I like that we're going to interface between parents and professionals because I like my parents that are my patients to know as much as the professionals, to get as knowledgeable as they can. Right. Oh, it's so important. It just gives you it just gives you strength. 
It really does. It, uh, it gives you confidence and it gives you strength to do, you know, things that you need to do. Um, you know, this is really exciting, this conference. And, you know, you talked about the parent panels. And, you know, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that because, you know, as I always say, there is no better resource that, for a parent than one that's been there. So, you know, what what, is, what are these panels like? Well, the panels are grouped in the families are going to split, and so we have a panel talking about um, children with dyspraxia and dyslexia and attention problems. And we purposely selected all varying ages so that people could sort of see forward and understand where they were going, and they could also be on the same page. So we have parents who have... You know, a six-year-old speaking, a mom with a very rare genetic disorder but has a very common dyspraxia, and then she has a daughter, a twin, who has dyslexia. So she's talking about her experiences so far. Her father is speaking about his daughter with dyspraxia, who's now a sophomore or junior in college, and about their process of where they've gone, where they've been, and I think he's, you know, he's going to be incredibly empowering to families about, you know, his early people's early predictions about their his daughter and how inaccurate they were. And then we have somebody sort of in the mid-range of development. And then we have a parent panel for kids with extra X's and a parent panel for kids with extra Y's. And the idea is that people want to hear from somebody who has something similar. And so we're covering sort of all the um, rubric uh, in the most effective way. And all of the parent panels have experience with dyslexia because all of the kids in those groupings have dyslexia at some point in their life. I mean, this the conference really is, um, it just interfaces with the, your mission of the Focus Foundation because the Focus Foundation really is about hope and empowerment, um, you know, to bring people with dyslexia, you know, to their full potential. And that's really what this conference is going to do. So, you know, I really I think it's exceptional. Um, when, when is it? Where is it? And how can um, parents attend? Okay, it is. Um, it starts Friday night, April 13th, and goes through till Sunday, April 15th. Um, it's going to be hosted in the Annapolis area, um, right off easy access off of um Route 50 for families, and they can find all the information about speakers um, on our website, which is www.thefocusfoundation.org. Uh, and you know, we are taking enrollment, and we'll be you know accepting as many families as we possibly can, so we can both educate and empower them. And then the other thing which I did mention, which is really exciting, we have Dr. Jay Gee from the National Institutes of Mental Health, who's wow. talking about, yeah, he's he and I have collaborated on um, several studies, and he's talking about brain imaging and, you know, the volume of different regions of the brain. And, right. of course, you know, he's very well known for his knowledge of sort of typically developing kids, kids with ADHD, and then he and I work together on our chromosomal children. Wow, he's brilliant. That's fantastic. He's brilliant. Such I mean, nice that, that really, he really is. I mean, that really is where um, all of these diagnostics and, you know, with mental illness, even targeting treatments is going with these scans. Um, and he's he's been a pioneer. Um, with that, so that's really very impressive. Um, I also wanted to talk about you have another conference coming up. <clears throat> excuse me, um, in July. 
Please so do. why don't you tell us about that? I will be happy to. We also host specialty conferences for kids with rare genetic disorders. So our July conference are for boys who have four X's and then a Y, and they typically occur only one in 100,000 births. So they're very, very rare. But we actually have the largest cohort in the world. We have more than 41 boys. So the families get together, and um, it's educational, but we also host a multidisciplinary clinic so that they can be seen for consultation by specialists that are very familiar with the disorder so that we can enhance their care and then educate their families so that they can take it back to their communities um, and bring all that information back to their physicians and their care providers. You know, and it's so important to get this information out. One of my best friends actually works um, at a school that is specialized for dyslexia. It is one one of the best schools in the country. And um, when I was interviewing you last time, oh, your dog can bark with my dog. My dog's barking too. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when I told you you have to listen to this interview, she was floored. They knew nothing about the chromosomes. And the majority, 80% of the students in their school are boys. And um, she actually gave it to her headmaster, and they've been sharing it with the parents. It's such important information um, because, you know, listen, if, if people don't hear it here, people don't hear about the Focus Foundations, parents wouldn't know about this. No, so, um, and you know what's amazing? Every time I do either an interview or an article, we will get calls within a month where families will say, I heard, I read, and I walked in and said to my doctor, do this test, please, and their child had it. I mean, it's Absolutely. uncanny, you know, and it breaks your heart because they're like, I, I've waited for five years, ten years, fifteen years, you know, unnecessarily. Yeah. Well, you know, why is it that, um, and I'm not bashing anyone, but you know, why is it that this information isn't readily available to the doctors, to the um, to the educators? You know, that the parents should, are able to get this information. If you have a child with dyslexia, it should be something even brought up at an IEP meeting that this should That's be done, right. these testings. It's it's infuriating, really. Um, but, you know, before we run out of time, I want you to tell us, um, again, um, how parents parents can go and they can get from your website, they can get tickets to this. Is that correct? That is true. If they go to www.thefocusfoundation.org, all information on the atypical learners conference is there the registration and everything so that they can find it and it's running from april 13th to the 15th and you know we are very excited to prevent you know really present information that is going to change absolutely i can tell you that when people i i still get emails from people that are listening to the interview um, and just as you say, they had their child tested. And, you know, it's very rewarding for me, but, I mean, I can't imagine what it must be like for you, um, you know, when a parent goes, wow, <laughs> you know, there's a treatment for this that they never knew about. Um, so what is the cost of this conference? And are there, um, do you, is there lodging information where parents can there find out where There is lodging information. It's at the Double, I think it's at the Double Tree um, Hotel. Oh, I have it right here, the Double Tree Hotel in Annapolis. Annapolis. Okay. And the infer- um we have uh, we had an early bird special till March 18th, which was um, the you know the registration was 175, and now it's a bit more, just uh, 225 for families for this three day, two full days, and then Friday evening for you know I think a great 
presentation of a lot of information on many fronts that can help children with any kind of learning difference. And what I say to families is do understand that you actually we learn a lot of information from kids who have one disorder that can then be generalized to any disorder like dyslexia or dyspraxia because we we get a good picture and then we can implement it for the kids who don't have maybe the diagnosis but have similar problems. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on, for sharing this with us. You know, you help so many people, and I'm just, you know, honored to get the information out for you. And everyone, it's not too late. Really, this is going to be an outstanding conference. Um, So thank you again for joining me. Please come back again. I will, and thank you so much, Marianne, for having me. Have a great night. You too. Um, I'm going to be taking a few weeks off, and I have outstanding guest hosts coming on. Um, This weekend, next Sunday night, our guest is Noah's dad. It is all about Down syndrome. It is all about acceptance and love and raising these amazing children. And who better to be a host for the show than Wayne Lindholm. He is the president of the Down Syndrome Foundation, and he is going to be filling in for me Sunday night. And I hope you can join us. That's 9 o'clock. As I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Thank you for joining us tonight on The Coffee Clutch.